So I want to become a dog trainer. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Well, I'll, I'll be sending you a personal message because I've got this idea about how to teach 10,000 fleas to roller skate. So, uh... <laughs> it's just behavior. Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr. Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says, I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down, and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this, This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hey, hello. Hi. Word to your mother, Natalie Light. <laughs> How are you? I've actually um, we've been quizzing Ooh. with your mother, haven't we? Oh, who's that? Yes. That was a mouse. We have a guest. She just suddenly decided to say hi. I hear a mouse. Where? There behind me. Behind me. <laughs> um, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? In lockdown prison, Britain. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's getting a bit 
It is a bit weird. I think I was going a bit doolally this week, actually. Um, It's the first week where... Well, we kind of decided uh, in other news. I've re- most people probably know this, but I've rehomed a humongous one-year-old, beautiful Newfoundland uh, possible cross. Not sure. Um, she's just house a bear. House bear, big dappy puppy, Egypt of a dog. It is. Yeah. Um, and, but she's beautiful. Um, so we we taken sort of a week off doing everything. I was I was working pretty hard or trying to work hard writing content and stuff but this week we've taken it off and just been concentrating on you know letting her settle in and building a few um foundationy bits bits and bobs do you feel like you are getting to know her i feel like i do i feel like she is um she is she's funny she's hilariously funny she's <laughs> gangly she doesn't know how big she is um yeah. she's like she is the best way to describe her is just a huge great puppy um so we're, we're i mean the main concern is um introductions with her and penny of us at the moment because she is just gonna she's gonna splatter on those yeah shoes. yeah so getting that right doing it very slowly um uh well actually we'll talk to our guests later on about that because there's a passage in his book which is all about it so um i'm, I'm interested yeah. to get a bit of input from like one of the world's Sounds best professionals good. uh no, no spoilers just yet <laughs> Um, well, you know, you use your influence where you can. But yeah, so it's been, it's been brilliant. I feel like we are getting to know her. I feel like her personality is coming out each bit, each day, which is nice because that, I guess, means she's getting a little bit more settled. Yeah. Um, we're working out what works for her in terms of, you know, how much sort of rest she needs versus how much exercise. Exercise is obviously an issue at the moment. Um, there are some great reasons to rehome a dog at the moment, but also there are some reasons that make it a, a tad more difficult as well. So it's it's getting oh that my god, yeah. Out. I mean, you know, we we vaguely know what we're doing. I can't <laughs> imagine not having that support network around you. Yeah. To be, and I think to be honest, I mean, certainly with the the ARC, the RSPCA that I work closely with, and I know um, yep. you know them all too. That's one of their major concerns: is the follow up. Is, yeah. you know how how do they continue to help people settle their dog in um when they can't pick up well they can pick up a phone and call us but it's not the same as going around is it and helping them out so no, no it really isn't it's there's some unique tricky. challenges but um but it's been quite nice being able to stay in with them and, and let us settle in so that's been really really good i'll tell you what else i've been doing as well i've been on my phone too much that's something that's been happening i've been looking at the facebooks and the uh, and the interwebs too much it's not um, this ant group again is it no i do love <laughs> i love that group um it's brilliant um and the crap wildlife photography one i the crap wildlife photography makes me laugh every day <laughs> it's, it's great <laughs> Get on there and join it, everyone. Crap wildlife photography, and it, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, if you need a light-hearted moment. Um, I was yeah. going down this wormhole of, uh, you know, just getting livid at conspiracy theories and God knows what else going on. Oh, yeah, or five, oh, no. 5G conspiracies. So so I've managed to temper that. I've managed to come back, reduce the anger Good. a little bit. But Get now, out the bottom half of the internet. Yeah, well, no, because actually I wanted oh. to talk to you about a particular company um, called Wish. Okay. Oh my God, they're so weird. <laughs> like, it, I, do you know what? I think in the dim and distant past, I actually may have even bought something from them once. Do you think so? I, I don't know how they get, how do they get onto my, I don't know how they stay on my feed. I don't know, but you have to just ban the adverts. But there was something, I can't even remember how weird it was, but like they flash up on your newsfeed, don't they? Yeah. And it was like some adult 
nappy something i don't even know i can't even i can't even make something up as random as it was well nat because i'm ever the professional i've i've screenshotted some of wishes (laughs) adverts on here and the weird the weird thing is there's some quite practical things crop up and you think oh do you know what am i like and then you swish along you swish on the wish and that's that's um i've I've copyrighted that wish so you can't have that um and I came up with, um, this isn't a very good um, for listeners, but there's, there's a picture here of a cat, just a little cat looking at it, and it's got on its paws what can only be described as two bolt-on, like, gloves, but for cats. I've got no no reason why they would need these. I guess they might be scratching something or something like that. It looks looks pretty much like, like can you see that in Oh, there? my God, yeah. Yeah, but they're yeah, pink, so, you know. Anti-scratch mitts. There's another one, which is which means so. Uh, if you've ever had this problem, right? If you ever tuck your <laughs> shirt into your trousers and you yeah. find it really annoying when you bend down and your shirt comes out your trousers, then yeah, wish you've got on a cold day. Yeah, wish you've got the solution for this. It is basically it looks like it's come out of a medieval torture uh, <laughs> room, and it's a contraption that you wear and it goes down past your thigh, so underneath, on top of your pants, if you like, and it clips to your shirt. So when you put your trousers on, your shirt's constantly being pulled down. Um, there's this. I don't even know what that is. Now I thought <laughs> that's just. <laughs> what is that? It looks like. It like look, I don't that know what soaring, it's like. soaring loaf wrapped yeah, in cling film. <laughs> it does look like that, or something that you, they shouldn't be selling online. Yeah. I don't know. But there's no explanations for it. It's just basically a brown mass wrapped in cling film. Take okay. Well, I can will. answer one of your questions, Go which on. is. The reason that it keeps coming up on your feed is because you're looking at it okay. for hours on end. <laughs> have you ordered anything yet or have you Not held yet. back? No, I haven't ordered anything yet. I thought about it the other day. They had, a, they had like a sort of pen contraption and, you know, I'm, I'm all about the pens and management and things at yeah. the moment. So I did think about that. But then I just imagined it would be flimsy and useless. Okay, well, I think we need to put a call out now to all the listeners and I'm going to do it too. Um, and... We'll just post on the page the randomest thing from Wish that comes up on our newsfeed. I'll stick all all of those pictures up <laughs> just so that anyone that's listening can go onto the Facebook page, um, Barks from the Bookshelf, and you can just have a look yeah. at the things that we're talking about. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to suggest, because I know you saw this too, was Starlink. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was pretty cool. Well, um, well, I kind of didn't make it outside to... Um, watch the weird formation that that Corin saw and panicked about and phoned me because we were under attack. Bless her. Um, and I'm glad I didn't see that because it would have freaked me out as well. But we did see we we got on the old zero gravity chairs with a, a glass of wine in hand and a blanket over us like nice. starstruck lovers in the garden. <laughs> um, and yeah, we counted. 12 i think going across i i, I counted the, the most we count was 48 on one night but wow. i was actually out there when corin first saw them she called me in a state of panic and i ran out into the garden now i love looking at star i used to be obsessed with stars when i was younger I still retain a fair amount of that knowledge and one of the things we always used to look for was satellites so when i looked up and saw a row of them and i can't believe i'd never heard of this by the way i don't know how this no, passed I, me by i to look it up and i'm not really sure how i feel about it to be honest no so yeah. kind of took the shine off it when we were watching them i was like oh i don't like it i'm basically watching the m25 in space it is a bit weird and considering it was it like forty thousand are going to be yeah. up there eventually that will could potentially ruin 
that nice serene majestic image that we have when we look up but what i what i wanted to say to you was i was surprised i pride myself on being a bit of a, a skeptic um you know uh and and when i saw these satellites i was amazed how quickly i went in uh, almost into conspiracy <laughs> not conspiracy theory as such but oh my god it's covid19 <laughs> drones and they're filming our houses or i yeah. quickly without any explanation for what they are i quickly felt myself falling down that that wormhole so i see you know um i can see how people end up there <laughs> I've learned a lesson. I've learned Imagine a lesson. you, you and Corin with a cigar like um, uh, Will Smith and Thingamabob <laughs> when they get on Independence Day. <laughs> right, we've hatched a plan, guys, and then yeah. we're all just going, guys, it's okay. They're satellites. It's fine. Leave it. Leave it. Leave I had it an idea away. they were satellites because they were moving like satellites. They looked at the same sort of speed as satellites, um, and quite often we see the International Space Station go over the top of our house, which is awesome. But yeah, that that many in a row, that was the weird thing. Just in a row, just constantly one after yeah. another, one after another. But hey-ho. Um, it's, qu- it's quite nice in the daytime sky at the moment not to have as many planes as well. That's beautiful. I, I, yeah. I heard today there's been, they're, they're predicting a 4 to 8% drop in carbon worldwide because of the pandemic, which is a wow. unexpected um plus i don't know if you can say it's a plus because of the pandemic but you know like you know it might it may if something nice comes out of this it may be that we realize what we can do if pushed that's the problem though it's being pushed i guess isn't it the thing is everyone's kind of in a rush to get back to normal but actually maybe we should be thinking about Mm. changing what normal is oh hang on that was a bit philosophical easy tiger I just hope people have been really enjoying the sort of outside and and maybe going if you, if you can if you're lucky enough to live near some green spaces and things like that going out there and and enjoying them and and I I was out for the old daily exercise a week or so ago and um uh I I, I this is going to sound really weird because I was just about to say I followed a family into the woods but I was I did I did I followed a family into the woods I was walking last time watching my neighbour <laughs> oh yeah any updates. Um, no, can't can't see. But um, yeah, I followed the family to woods. I was walking a dog, so don't worry, folks. I don't do that often. <laughs> but um, they were with their little toddler, and they'd stopped, and they were looking out into the woods. And I was sort of like trying to see what they were looking at. And eventually, I spotted it, and it's this beautiful deer just stood there. Oh wow! Motionless. This is in the well, late afternoon, but still, you know, um, bright sunlight. Um, and it was amazing and and you know normally it's quiet all around the woods in our area so I can, yeah you know, but so um yeah it was nice it was really good Take so um shall we shall we move into the uh to the meat of things for one yeah better why expression? not so let's go, let's on then. On. um are you going are you going or am i going am i going to announce what we're talking about today uh you go because you've got it so today we have um, the absolute privilege and honour of uh, talking about the book The Eye of the Trainer by the one, the only, drumroll please, Ken Ramirez. Um, wow! Uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to have an interview with Ken um, later on um, and we're going to get to talk about this uh, frankly awesome book. We use the word awesome a lot on this podcast, um, but you know, that's because they all are so tough. Yeah. That's why we talk about them. So So, um, let's go forth into uh, why read it, shall we? Let's go. Uh Why read it? Okay, so why should we read this book? Well, 
first off, it's new, isn't it? It's sort of hot off the press. It's brand spanking. Um, it is. And um, I think I'm right in saying that um, it's a kind of amalgamation of a, a lot of Ken's um, blogs and articles mm-hmm. and research that have kind of um, been um, put through the Karen Pryor Academy, who's he's a faculty member for, um, on their website um, over the gosh probably the last 20 years or so um and um I don't know about you Steve-O but I just found it a really nice book to read I mean I ordered it a while ago and we were kind of waiting till we got um Ken's interview sorted before I cracked it open but um it was just lovely to sit in the garden and flick through really really easy to read no big chunks of text um just really nice writing style yeah just loads loads of interesting stuff packed in almost like a a sort of ken ramirez career anthology oh my god i think i think interesting is the the word you hit on there it's a page turner in it and the the stories and the the you know the the pictures that he paints with the words in the book are just so yeah they're so i mean he's done some amazing things yeah. in his career and uh, the way he writes about them and tells the story I mean I'm sure we'll we'll hear a bit from him in his own words as well but um you're just kind of reading it thinking really that really happened you really trained that to do that and him to do what you went where <laughs> <laughs> it's really tricky to think of what to ask him in an interview um isn't yeah. it as well because there's so many things um yeah. I I mean, I haven't, I haven't had the privilege of seeing him at, um, at a conference or seminar or anything along those lines. I know loads of people who have and speak wonderfully, and I think that you know, I think that it sums up the amount of enthusiasm people have for Ken um, as to how amazing that he must be. Um, I actually, I when I was trawling through the interwebs doing my research, um, I stumbled across previous guests. And buddy of the podcast, Patricia McConnell. <laughs> oh, best friend, call her Patricia that, yeah. McConnell. Yeah, <laughs> is that all right? Yeah, we can do. Yeah, that. yeah. We, we've swapped some emails. It's fine. We've so spent, anyway, we spent an hour together. That means we're lifelong buddies. <laughs> so she said, which I, which was really good because I was feeling exactly the same way at the moment. At the moment, she said it um, was that um, there's a, there's a part of this book. There's four pages of this book that are worth the price of the book alone. Um, and she said that um, this particular part of the book, we'll get into it a bit later, actually. I don't want to give too many spoilers. You're trying to hold it but back she was, on Yeah, you. I'm trying to hold By it the back. Way you're talking, but she was reading in the kitchen while she was actually training her dog at the same time. And she says she got through nearly you know, half the book in the morning in the kitchen when she was training her dog. And yeah. actually reading it gave her the enthusiasm to do the exercise that she was doing. Um, she actually said, let me give it, let me give you the actual thing. So here we go. Um... Uh, after reading the first few pages of his new book, The Either Trainer, Animal Training, Transformation and Trust, I read it practically cover to cover standing in the kitchen and immediately went back to teaching Skip look at me as soon as he sees a cat. Oh, that's handy, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, mindful of his first overlooked fundamentals. That's a section of the book, The Overlooked Fundamentals of Training. Yeah. Um, I upped the reinforcement rate as Ken advises not just for new behaviours, but to maintain ones already learned. And that's the, that's the kind of thing, you know, I can imagine her sat there or stood there like thumbing through the book and being infused about doing it. And that's Patricia McConnell. Um, let I know. Alone can you, can you imagine? 
Yeah. Patricia McConnell reading Ken Ramirez's book in her kitchen. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that when it comes to reasons to why read it. I mean, she has, so you should. And it's not just, I mean, it's got a dog on the cover, but it's not all about dogs. Don't get fooled into no. that. Um, Ken has trained many animals in many environments. Um loads there's so much so much stuff to unpack in the book um i also do you know what i think i would i would love to give this book to um well to everyone really but particularly people that um aren't quite uh on board with positive reinforcement training Mm -hmm. and aren't quite on board with um you know, animal sentience and feelings and learning and what different species are capable of because the whole book was full of Greg Wallace moments, really. That's a good Um, way to describe it. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think one day that'll be on the cover of an animal training book? A whole book of Greg Wallace moments. (laughs) Barks from the bookshelf. Exactly. Love Um, it. I hope so, Nat. That would make my absolute day. So why read it? I mean, it is chock full of amazing things from cover to cover. It's easy to read. It's it's just brilliant. It's, it's written amazingly. There's stories in there that really just make you go, wow, like yeah. Greg. It's, it's easy to pick up and put down as well. So yeah. it's not, you know, a, a big a big block. Um, and I think, I genuinely think you will struggle to just find um, a few stories that you'll want to share with everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about dinner party stories. <laughs> I mean, I I already was like, oh, Corin, 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 gotta hear the story about butterflies. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, spoilers for later. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, let's hold a little bit back because yeah, hopefully we'll talk to him about the butterflies as well. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, I hope so. so there you go. Why read it? All of those reasons and many more. Indeed. my eye there were loads mm-hmm. lots of things pricked my eye you it had was a right a, eye pricking this it, it was this a week. veritable eye pricking session when i was in the garden with this book um but i had to choose two so here they <laughs> sorry, go because i've only got two eyes so yeah. i chose two of them um it. so the first one was because um for those of you that may not know i Um, from a conservation background I studied zoology at university and I then went on to work for a conservation charity um, uh, called Hampshire and Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust where I had a brilliant time and spent about eight years talking about wildlife Um, so whilst my life is full of dogs and all about the dogs it's also all about anything that's not human to be perfectly honest (laughs) so I mean there's humans in it as well but you know what I mean Um, which category do I fall into uh midway okay (laughs) um so i a whole chapter pricked my eye steve am i allowed that yep you can have as many you can have a whole book if you want okay so chapter five pricked my eye because it's um all about conservation projects and so um weird and wonderful species that ken has um been parachuted in to to train for a variety of reasons and we'll talk to him more in detail because he'll do the stories more justice but um for um anti-poaching training um for um uh, a lovely kind of uh orchestral gala fundraising gala for conservation species and so he covers uh monkeys donkeys butterflies um 
elephants. Yeah. Uh, it was just a really lovely chapter to to read about, you know, different training um, projects that, that are involved with different species. Obviously, there's loads of them around. There's a really nice charity, and I'm going to get their name wrong if I try and say it, but um, I think it's uh, Conservation Dogs. And they actually train their dogs to... Um, indicate for the scat um or the scent of um rare species oh wow so yeah it's, it's a fascinating um that. uh charity so so that was mine that was mine chat the whole of chapter five <laughs> yeah whole got, of chapter got five. right got right in my eye go out and read it so i got i've yeah. only got a one i think you've got another one after this haven't you so i have um, yeah actually this was the, the, as i was reading so um this section i read this morning actually and as i was reading it i realized wow this is relevant to actually something that i've done today so that's why this one pricked my eye and this is about well, it, well it's entitled the jackpot mystique tool or trainer superstition um so giving jackpots so so as as an explanation i guess that would be you know if you've asked your dog to sit and you give them a treat sit give them a treat sit give them a treat but then they do like an amazing sit you might say okay now you get some sausage as well or or maybe more biscuits or something along those lines that's what we we would call a jackpot um and it is is it fair to say it's a bit controversial i think maybe well yeah i think um it's lot a lot to do with semantics of differential reinforcement rates mm-hmm. and whether things should be uh reinforced in in different scales so there's there's but it also sometimes gets mixed up a bit with whether we should be jackpotting or not so yeah i think um... it's all it, a lot of it is to do with um uh misunderstanding of the terminology um but you know i i don't i, I would do it Usually I do it because I want to empty my treat pouch and there's something in. <laughs> well, that, it's interesting you say that because I was doing it um, this morning with Peaches when we were doing just a little. So, so I've been doing a lot of just um, eye contact stuff with her. Um, so loads and loads. So but build, just basic eye contact to start with, trying to get an automatic um, check-in. Um, and also some little recall, little bits of recall training. So when I have taken her out on a walk um those are the only things i'm focusing on if she gives me eye contact i will reinforce it i'm not trying to bugger all the time but occasionally yeah. i'll do a little whistle that i've got so i do a little as like ah, uh, like family recall if you like that sort of thing penny's yeah. just woken up from her sleep because i did that and it's still oh yeah I, would, I did wonder if and anyone I've was gonna, no. hang on oh, a minute you were gonna get taken out I'm moving to the sides just to grab a cheat for penny because there you go there you go, good girlie. Well done, good girl. Um, so yeah, so with because I had I was trying to feed her her breakfast for doing this as well. I had a fair amount of her biscuits with me. So what does she time... eat? Like a skip a day? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Yeah, when you've when you've been used to feeding a Jack Russell for a few months, yeah. and then you move on to a Newfoundland, it is quite shocking. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll jackpot the recall. So I eye contact will just you know I'll just give her because she was she's doing that a lot now. In just a couple of days, that is coming on really brilliantly. So she looks I thought, so, so with... cute when she does it as well. It's like oh, a proper pretty... little. Sometimes she has her head down and then just lifts yeah. her eyes up. And then eventually her head sort of goes up with the eyes, like it's the hardest thing in the world. Um, But out on walks, actually, she's quite quick at doing it. She'll spin around, give me eye contact quite a lot, Um, which is great because, you know, I wasn't expecting to be at that point yet. And I'm I'm going at her pace. I'm not pushing things um, 
the way that I think they should be. So I thought mm. when, when I do the whistles, I will jackpot her, which just means I will feed her like six or seven of these biscuits I've got in my treat pouch at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it pricked my eye because I'm when I was out this morning, I was kind of thinking, is this is this a benefit? Is she learning that the whistle means I'm going to get that amount versus the eye contact means I'm going to get that amount? Are we just, is it just a high value, high value reinforcement being given on an intermittent schedule? And my brain was starting to get a bit cloudy about it because I didn't know, I didn't really know. So reading that, well, in fairness, it didn't actually clear anything up because he's, <laughs> it turns out that the, um, the, 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 the science isn't really there on it. Some people say it can be, it can actually be um, negative because, you know, the next time the dog comes back, they don't get that amount of treats. And actually, the one thing that I wanted to say that if you are using jackpots, which I'm still going to do, and actually Ken in his book says that he still does some things to avoid i thought were really interesting for people so there's a couple of things to avoid um so the first one is sloppy delivery so he describes sloppy delivery as throwing the treats on the floor now i've done this before and and hearing out why you shouldn't do it actually makes perfect sense because i've got two dogs yeah so if i scatter food on the floor and penny was walking behind me a good sort of you know 30 foot behind me or something like that but if you scatter food on the floor as a reward is that a reward if there's another dog around or is your dog going to be mm. panicky for sort of like, oh my God, I've got to eat these treats. So that was really interesting to to hear that. Um, yeah. you know. I think feeding on the floor has got its place, haven't it? But you've yeah. got to use it carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Being really mindful about it. And the other one was, uh, oh, oh yeah, drawn out as well. So counting them out isn't yeah. necessarily as good, which was good because I was giving them in one big go. And yep. Peach's slobbery mouth was just... I rum, bet, rum, I bet rum, it's rum. like slime afterwards, isn't it? I've got really, really used to slobber. I mean, I've, I've desensitised myself to being covered in goo all day. It's basically what I've been... <laughs> It's basically what I've been doing. I've got a pair of trousers now that's, that's more slobber than cotton. Nice. Um, Are you just going to start wearing a sarong? I'm just, just giving up, basically. Yeah. I'm thinking of going out naked from now on, if I'm being honest. Just naked with just a small towelette to, to The naked Noofy man. <laughs> Following families in the wood. No. Um, and overuse. Avoid overusing it for obvious reasons. If it's a jackpot, then if you overuse, then, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that really pricked my eye. So if you are using jackpots, and I think jackpots come as a sort of, come naturally to human beings, maybe. Is that fair to say? I don't know. You would come, there's a brilliant passage in the book, actually. And it's uh, and it's called, he calls it the fix-it fish. So when he was training marine mammals, um, dolphins specifically, if I remember, Dolphins apparently, and I only learned this from the book, can only have a certain amount of mackerel a day. But the mackerel was always understood by all of the trainers as being the the best reward to give them. And they'd yeah. all convinced themselves that they got better responses for the mackerel. Maybe they did, but um, he wasn't sure. But all of the trainers used to argue about who gets to give the mackerels out <laughs> because they, yeah. they refer to it as the fix-it fish. So for yeah. any times they were having troubles with certain behaviours, if you had a mackerel you would more likely, you know, get get to the bottom of what's causing that behavior problem and, and then maybe train it out. Um, but I guess the problem was that from a scientific standpoint, can can you definitely say it's because I've got the macro or could you say because you've got the macro, you're more in tune with what's going on? Yeah. Um, so he said, you know, the mists of time may have made that seem like jackpots. Yeah. Are, are you 
subconsciously working harder when you yeah. know you've got a magic fish in your pocket it should work and you, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah and you know that because you're going to be on point aren't you especially if dolphins mm. are only allowed a certain amount of mackerel you're gonna go right i'm not gonna waste these whereas with a lower value fish you might just be chucking them everywhere Willy-nilly. and then yeah you're, you're not you're not as um focused on you know what your body's doing and your timing and all that kind of stuff that's really interesting i love yeah, that kind it's of fascinating stuff. and i like the fact that he didn't really answer the question because more more research required um yeah he does cite a couple of um studies that have been done but i think they're either quite small or or mm. non-conclusive should we say um mm. but yeah um he he ends that little section as a quote here he says because of the importance of recall and the success i've seen i'm hesitant to change my approach so he's going to still use little jackpots but avoid those pitfalls of drawn out feeding sloppy delivery on the floor or overuse so there you go nice little tip for everyone out there sounds like very good advice and you've got one more uh one more i've got one more prick yeah i've got one more prick (laughs) um which was about uh i can't remember what page it was on but it was about the end of session signal and again um, the way that Ken writes about it is a similar way to how you've just described he writes about the jackpot. So it's kind of weighing yep. up the pros and cons of using an end of session signal. And They're think, in the same um, section, actually. Um, should, oh, are they? Should oh, right. I use that? Tools and techniques is chapter two. And I think actually um, the end of uh, end of session signal is right after the jackpot one. So yeah. interesting. We both picked those, eh? Yeah. It's, and I just found it really interesting. Again, the way he writes about it, he's very, he's very sort of humble with his knowledge, isn't he? He's yeah. not, it's not, sort of from a dictatorial stance saying this is what you need to do it's like Mm. well we need to know more about what's going on and you know end of session signals um aren't something that i i use um for absolutely everything but they're so useful in in certain situations so um when jack first came to live with us he he was mad about playing tug which was brilliant Mm -hmm. Um, but he would get very frustrated as well when the game was kind of over and then he'd end up so taking the toy away wasn't really working because he'd then jump up and grab us Um, and so you know working through it what worked really well was that he retained the toy but we said that's finished now so he could then carry the tug and sort of wind himself down almost and it's it's really it really worked in that situation and it also I use it a lot when I'm doing multi-dog work so let's say I've got all my dogs lined up and they all get a treat because um I don't want them then scrabbling over um uh whether I'm going to feed them again next they all get their name treats and then I say all gone and off they and then they go okay what feeding time is over and I'll trot off so you're kind of reducing the risk of there being conflict because the dogs know that okay she's not diving out anymore shop is closed and you're weighing that up aren't you because they might I guess they might go away going oh but also (laughs) they're not thinking he's gonna get that you know so exactly it's picking your battles there's a gray um again it's, it's a bit further on in the book um, so I haven't got it prepared so I can read it out. There's a great story about a dog, um, um, a human detecting dog. There's a, there's a better term for it than that. But, you know, with the, that search for people buried under rubble and, and search and rescue oh, yeah. dogs. Um, yeah. And one, a dog that was brilliant at it had stopped indicating Oh, yeah, I read yeah. this bit. That was really good. Is yeah, that a similar it, it type was, thing? Because The work was too fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's the worry about a, a, an end of session signal is that it becomes a kind of no reward marker and it can end up reducing the work rate. 
um, and also building frustration. So again, it's uh, that's what I really liked about this book. It kind of explores the nuances of these things and mm. how we can't have a one size fits all. We can use the yeah. same concepts, but we can't necessarily fit them together in the same sort of tailored program. Yeah. Um, it, it has to, you have to look at the individual and yeah that's a really good example of it i really like that story my old dog scooby used to whenever because i have used um end of session markers and things like that before and he used to especially with tug i used to say okay mate all gone and then put the toy away he would just go (laughs) every (laughs) time you can almost Um, bet on it like a little sigh but yeah. I, towards the, as I got a better trainer, what I used to do is use the end of session marker to predict something else was going to happen. So yeah. I'd always do like a little scatter feed or something or get him doing something else, just bringing the levels down a little, rather than just abrupt from tuggy, tuggy, tuggy to stop. Yeah. I would try and bring the levels down. And that was because I noticed in fairness that he would sigh a little bit. And so I started feeling a bit sorry for him. But it was also, it was <laughs> oh, also so quite amusing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an old grand <laughs> Oh, game's over. <laughs> well, there you go. There's some really, really good ones there. Yeah. Testament to how amazing the book is, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, so go and uh, get your own eyes pricked. <laughs> yes, get in there. Get in there, get your eyes pricked, as said by <laughs> Natalie. That might be a quote before. <laughs> get your eyes pricked. <laughs> hey! Okay, so we have such an exciting guest. For so this exciting! I mean, they're, they're all exciting, but um, uh, for, for those of you that may not i guess if people haven't been to clicker expo and mm-hmm. they're not trainers then this may be a new name to them so um i'm going to tell you a bit about ken so um this is from um his website which is ken ramirez training.com or if you uh, just google karen Pryor um academy and he is one of the faculty members for the karen Pryor um academy so you'll find him on there so here we go ken ramirez training consulting In October 2014, Ken Ramirez began his role as Executive Vice President and Chief Training Officer of Karen Pryor Clicker Training, where he helps oversee the vision, development and implementation of training education programmes for the organisation. This role aligns with Ken's philosophy of helping to bring positive reinforcement training to all corners of the world. Ramirez has written for numerous scientific publications and authored countless popular articles. He authored the book Animal Training, Successful Animal Management Through Positive Reinforcement, published in 1999. He also teaches a graduate course on animal training at Western Illinois University. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that, I mean, I, if I read out his whole bio, <laughs> we'd be here for such a long time and actually um i don't want to spoil too much because i think the book is a lot about his career and his life and his stories and you know i can't wait to hear in his own words some of these stories so you know he's been working in the animal care and training sector for over 40 years so the man is a legend i can't Um, i can't literally talk i'm gonna burst so um, (laughs) well let should we uh should we dial him in and see what he's got to say for himself let's let's toodle on okay yeah go straight on into it mate because obviously your time is precious yes. um so yeah well 
I, I think your book is absolutely amazing. Can I gush yeah, straight so away? Is that allowed? Oh, of course. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we were it's, just it's recording brilliant. the beginning bit of the podcast. So so the basic idea is we go through little sections, what really stood out to us. We've got little names for all of our sections, but we've both been gushing already. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. I appreciate it. It's been it's been fun getting uh, people's reactions to to the book. So, it's 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 always fun to to listen to what people think of different stories and things that I've done in my past. Yeah, which there's plenty, isn't there? There's so yeah, you've, oh, yeah. done, you've done some amazing things. I love some of the stories. And it, I, me and Steve, when we were planning what we were going to ask you, it's like, well, we've only got an hour. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's hard to leave things out. Yeah, I, I have a I have a theory that you may be the hardest person to interview for that reason. In terms of like, <laughs> what what do you ask? Like, you know, how where do you start? Um, so I think what we were going to do is because um, obviously we talk about the book and the main podcast a lot. Um, we've got some some questions that we really really wanted to ask you since we got you here um one of one of the ones that i wanted to ask is actually someone told me this now i don't think this appears in the book so um if i am wrong about this then then (laughs) feel free to tell me um because i'm sure there may be myths and legends surrounding you sir um but yeah (laughs) is it true ken ramirez that you once trained monkeys to scream when they see humans brandishing a banana gun uh yeah not a gun but yes um it was actually uh, great apes. It was a chimpanzee project in Sierra Leone, Africa, wow. and I do believe I mentioned it briefly in the book ah, in, in the section in the section on um, conservation training and how to get involved in conservation training. Okay. I referenced it. I think there's simply a single sentence or two about that particular project. But uh, one of the ways that we worked with the rangers in the national parks in Sierra Leone was the when a anybody approached whether it was a person in a jeep a bicycle a car or on foot the chimps would scream in unison it was so loud that it served as alarm and the um, rangers could hear it back at the ranger station and allowed them to get to the location before they were able to kill too many other chimps and in the in the process of implementing that training protocol uh the poaching in that particular national park went down by 86 percent so it was a really really successful project it was one of the early conservation projects that i was involved with and uh and it's sort of the thing that kick-started my 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 fifth career sixth career whatever it is (laughs) at at working on conservation uh related issues how fantastic so so simple and yet so effective 86 percent is amazing isn't it that was very, very effective. I remember the uh, the rangers were very hesitant at first to, to, to believe that this was possible, but they were interested in trying it. And then we very quickly, you know, had to capture the, uh, the screaming uh, and we got the screaming learned really fast. They learned that if they scream, we, we set these uh, uh, PVC tubes into the trees that would throw out reinforcers when they screamed. Um, and in four or five days, they learned to scream, but then they screamed all the time. <laughs> the, uh, the, the rangers, I could see, were, were wondering what this American dude was going to was had done to them because it was they were. But then we had to get it on cue, and so yeah. we they, we had to teach the animals that it was only when a vehicle approached that uh, that the screaming would be reinforced, and it it took a couple of weeks to get that 
that incessant screaming to settle down and then they finally really only screamed either all in unison only when there was a, a, a vehicle approaching they still would scream when they had their own interactions and stuff like that but but three or four animals or even 10 or 12 animals screaming didn't make enough noise to carry to the ranger station so okay. the, the unison screaming really was a great alarm call I'd love to be in the mind of that first chimp that realised when it's when he screamed at a tree, some some food fell out. <laughs> going back was... to the going back to the troop and going, guys, come and have a look at this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, it reminds me a little bit of like you know teaching a dog to bark, and then you if you if you don't get it right, then you'll just have a dog that'll just bark and bark and bark at you. Similar thing, right? Yeah. Right, we've got quite a few questions for you, Ken. Um, so if you're if you're happy, I'm going to fire away. Um, one of fire my, away. yeah, one of my um, uh, kind of bits of the book that I really noticed was when you um, you talk about training aspects in popular films, um, and uh, there was a whole uh, hoo ha about Jurassic World and Chris Pratt's use of the clicker, which you cover very well. Um, and I wondered whether you've ever seen um, How to Train Your Dragon. Yes, I've seen both the first, I've seen both, at least the first two films, yes. Yeah, I thought, I I was watching them and obviously they're, they're made for children, but watching them as a behaviourist, you think, wow, they re they obviously had some really good advice here. Yeah. Right. And I, I always, I always find one of the reasons I wrote the one article in the book that I did was, Every time I go to a movie, I, I tend to see training lessons in every film I see, even if it's not a, a, a dog movie or a horse movie or a training related movie, I still find these connections, you know, I, I, whatever whatever I'm watching, whether I'm watching a television show like Survivor, and I watch the way people interact with one another, I find myself going, wow, he's really good at using positive reinforcement or <laughs> he's not very good at using positive reinforcement. He's not going to succeed because he's, he's very disliked or whatever. I'm always thinking about it in terms of, of behavior and, and, and what it does to, to the people around you. And so it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I can't, ever since I became a trainer, I, I can't take that hat off yeah. and, and, and put it out of my head. You can't switch it off. It's a good skill no. to have. Yeah. yeah, it's a good, it's, I don't mind it. Yeah. And you mentioned Pokemon Go as well. And I, um, <laughs> I bumped into one of my friends when we were going to the shop, obviously we're, we're on lockdown here. So you're only allowed out a certain amount of time. And uh, she was struggling to get her, her little boy out for exercise. He'd rather stay home and watch telly. So Pokemon Go was the perfect excuse to go for a walk, which is good training on her part. <laughs> It was. It was very interesting. And, you know, it was a, a friend of mine who said, wow, whoever invented this game really knows how to use reinforcement. They really hook you in. And and I, I'm not a big game player and I, I didn't think much of it, but I heard someone else say something similar once and I thought, oh, let me look into this. And so I downloaded <laughs> the, the app and started playing the game and I found myself hooked on it for a while and i i was doing all the the catching the creatures and making getting as many as i could and, <laughs> and then i i thought i need i want to i want to analyze this i i i i'll 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 do this for a while so that i can write an article about it and uh and uh, i finally uh broke the habit once i wrote the article uh it was clear that the big reinforcer for me was 
finding the positive reinforcers and being able to talk about it. And once I finished the article, I probably stayed kind of hooked on it for another month or so. But I, I finally, I'm a busy person and <laughs> pulling out my little game to play just, just didn't interest me anymore. And I was able to break the habit. I, I don't think I've looked at it in, in, in well over a year or two. So, uh, but it was, it did occupy me whenever I was in a new location, I was pulling it out to see what kind of creatures I could capture and, <laughs> I, I i would be um amiss if i didn't ask you a question actually while i've got you here so we've just rehomed um a, a beautiful um big newfoundland called peaches she's one year old and she's absolutely lovely um we have already a small tenacious little jack russell called penny as well um so we're managing their introductions really really slowly and there's a fantastic part of the book where you talk about um is it marlin and tulip if i remember off the yes. top of my head um how you manage their introductions so i wondered if you could give me a, a little bit of advice in terms of because my my big concern about peaches is she's nearly 50 kilograms um she's quite playful um my little jack russell is likely to get squished at some point um so obviously already we've split our house up with our only meeting um very limited at the moment seeing each other through stair gates things like that we're going on little walks with them where they follow each other things along those lines but i wondered if you had any advice anything else that um we could start to put into place yep well, it, it sounds like you've already set it up well. Uh, I mean, you don't. Neither are either of the dogs particularly aggressive or no. reactive in a way. Then, then, then you're off to a better start. You know, the the, the challenge often is dealing with uh, heavy reactivity. As far as teaching them how to play together, that that's a that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't really teach that until they're together. But what can help is if you start those introductions where they can't get to each other right away, either because of a barrier you're using or because you're walking them on a lead, um, just lots of exposure to each other will reduce the excitement, the, the novelty of seeing them, so that when they finally do get together, they hopefully uh, are, are a little more calm and, and, and less rambunctious and less likely to <laughs> yeah. cause damage. Uh, um, uh, challenge for me was a, a lot of guarding dog and marlin was a, a very re, you know kind of an energetic dog and they just really would go at each other from a distance and so oh, okay. we used the opportunity to expose them to each other across several fence lines and get reinforced them for that and then let them start meeting each other through a fence line and and let them learn that reinforcement was contingent on accepting the other dog and that's what really brought their anxiety level down brought their barking down until eventually we were able to mix them together and uh, allow them to they never lived together because one was a livestock guarding dog mm-hmm. out in the field all the time but we did have the concern that that although my house dogs were never going to be meeting the livestock guarding dogs there was a concern that somebody opens a gate or lets the wrong animal in and and both of them were large you know dogs that could do a lot of damage and so we wanted to make sure that we taught them how to get along and that was a successful project for us oh that gives me uh that gives me lots of hope (laughs) (laughs) It's funny sometimes when it's your own dog, I don't know, you probably don't find this, I should imagine, but when it's your own dog, you know, like I'm a trainer, so I can advise people. I find it fairly easy to advise and give people advice when it's your own and I have this emotional connection to them. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to get over that. 
Yeah, it's it's always hard. It's uh, it's the emotional connection that you have to the dog. It's uh, it's uh, the realities of everyday life impacting your decision making. But you know, I always use those as good life lessons because it's very easy to be a consultant coming in from the outside and say, "Oh, all you need to do is X," and and you realize that when you're living in the situation, yeah. it's not always as simple as as it sounds. And so, um, I try to use those challenges that I might face in my everyday. life life to put myself in the shoes of my clients and say, all right, that they, they're probably having difficulty for yeah. a variety of reasons. So let me figure out how to navigate that particular problem. Fantastic advice. I think that kind of segues nicely onto my next question as well, which I hope I'm going to put my point across and I'm sorry if it comes across a bit muddled, but I wondered what your thoughts are having trained, um, domestic species so uh, versus captive so the way I sort of see it in my mind is that um, animals within a captive environment are have less interaction with with humans and the humans they do have interaction with are likely to be professional trainers or have some kind of skill so when you're training in a captive environment do you feel that sometimes you might have more going for you and it might be easier to to attain training goals than maybe in a domestic setting where there are less skilled people interacting on a minute by minute basis with with the animal um because you're kind of there's a there's a there's a quality aspect there isn't there about interactions and and um, how you can set the animal up to succeed does that make I, sense? I think yeah yeah i do i understand your question I, I having worked in the zoological field for a long time i'm very familiar with uh the challenges and and easy parts about training in those kinds of environments and i don't know that it really is the the there's there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences and I, I would say that um, you know the advantage that people have in a zoological environment is you have the advantage of being able to work with the dog with the animal for uh, for whatever time you need to but when you are done you can walk away and they're not living in your house with you they're not at your feet they're not around you all the time and so consequently most of your interactions are during feeding time cleaning time training time and so a very very focused period of time um and so that allows you to be thinking about training all the time when you're in with those animals as opposed to with our dogs um because I'm on a, on a on a podcast with you right now, my dogs are are around me. But if I'm not paying attention to them, they can get in trouble. They're they're around us more often, so there's more opportunities for them to do unwanted behavior and and you not be aware of it. And I I believe that's the biggest difference. But I I find that just like we were just talking about with our own dogs, we can get involved in so many other things that can distract us from paying attention to the things that our dog needs as a trainer. And the same thing can happen in a zoological environment. Your, your, your team may be quite experienced at training, but if they're focused on something else at the time or they're distracted and they're not thinking about training, it's very easy to allow a problem behavior to become uh, become more serious than it needs to be. And so I really don't find huge differences in the training challenges uh, in working in a zoo environment or working in a, in a home environment. Um, 
all people are similar and we run into the same kinds of challenges no matter where we work and 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 that's true of you know the the one time when perhaps we don't see some of the same problems are for dogs that are in a working environment like a police dog like a search and rescue dog like a guide dog most of the interactions that people have with those dogs are very formalized, very structured, and, and, and that helps maintain their training really well. But you still have those off times that when that guide dog is laying down under the desk of his owner when he's not working and inadvertently bad habits can be trained, uh, things get overlooked. I think we run into the same problems. There really is no huge difference uh in the training challenges that we face uh when working with zoological animals that's a really interesting answer and i hadn't i guess i was thinking more about um the environment and the exposure rather than the the human condition <laughs> and how we're all we all have the same kind of uh, propensity for falling into bad habits ourselves as well and being distracted <laughs> Absolutely. And in, the, and in the zoological environment, there are many, many employees that work there that don't have training backgrounds. And so it's not like every single person is thinking about training. It's very much like in our own house. Even if I am thinking like a trainer 24 hours a day, there are family members and there are other people who are not trainers who are interacting with that dog and creating bad habits or creating problems for the animal. And so the same thing is true in any environment. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> We're talking about the human condition then. Um, I, I I, was talking to Nat earlier about this, actually. I, I, I got a bit fuggy-headed, I like to call it, about something earlier on. And so we, de we devised a question to ask you. Um, and it's about choice. Um, there's, again, great section in the book. Um, uh, what is choice? The evolution of the concept. Lovely little um, little chapter there. Um, and it really got me thinking um, because I think I, li I really like the idea of, of giving animals choice. Of course, who, who wouldn't, I'm guessing. Um, and it can be, I think at the moment, it can be quite romanticized, that idea. And, we, and there's a big push on it. And you cover that in the book as well. Um, so, th so the question that we devised between us here, and that had a good input on this one as well, <laughs> is um, that sometimes positive reinforcement training can be criticized for being permissive. Um First of all, how would you respond to that, it being criticised, it being permissive? But also, how would you describe the difference between choice in a training context and free will? You can tell Nat wrote that question, not me. Oh, that's, that, you asked a great question, and, and that could open up a discussion that could go on for hours. Yeah. Um, but the first part of your question um, about being permissive, that's always been a criticism that I think... Uh, uh, is leveled at positive reinforcement trainers. And, and I, I, I've never quite understood that because for me, as a positive reinforcement trainer, I always have a set of rules and a set of guidelines that I expect my animals to follow. And um, being permissive doesn't mean that you're allowed to bite me, that you're allowed to uh, mess up the house, that you're allowed to dig up the garden, that you're allowed to do anything you want. Um, it, it really is. But what it is, is when it comes to choice, is 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to reinforce those alternative behaviors. I'm going to reinforce those behaviors that I would like to see. And what you tend to find is when something is reinforced at a very, very high rate, animals choose to do that thing because it earns them so much reinforcement. And when my dog does something unwanted, while I'm not going to punish the behavior, I'm going to try to avoid reinforcing it. I'm going to try to eliminate the reinforcers from the environment and make sure my dog has an easier option, an easier alternative that can be reinforced so that instead of barking, they offer this other behavior. Instead of digging, they offer this other behavior. And by constantly giving them the choice, the options where they can earn reinforcement easily, pretty soon they go, wow, I don't I don't have as much fun doing this barking thing, but I do have a lot of fun over here, or I get a lot of reinforcement over here. And all of a sudden, you see the animals making those choices. And for behaviors that I don't want, if, I, if I'm having difficulty getting those choices that I want easily accessible, then I have to find ways of preventing my dog from doing the unwanted behavior while I build up those alternative mm -hmm. behaviors. And so... It's not about being permissive. Um, you were come to my house, you'll find my dogs are, are very well behaved. They don't, uh, they don't uh, uh, jump on people's laps unless people want them to. They don't bark at the door. Uh, they don't dig in. The, they don't do any of those unwanted behaviors, or most of the time anyway. And, uh, and uh, it's not because I'm overly strict. It, it's because I've given them choices, but I make the choices that I would like them to choose far more easy to accomplish and very reinforcing. So it's not about permissiveness at all. It's, uh, I'm, I'm a very big rule follower, and, and I expect animals, I expect people to follow the rules, but I just make sure that there's good reinforcement available when they do, and often it causes them to choose that. I think I only answered the first part of your question, but I don't remember what the second part was. I remember it was a, yeah. it was a, it was a good question. I just don't quite recall what it was. So the second part was, um, how would you describe the difference between choice in a training context and free will? That that's the bit where I get my 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 fuggy head for want yeah. of a much. You know that it's a, it's it's a fascinating question, and people talk about it all the time. There are those who would suggest that there is no such thing as free will, and there are others mm -hmm. that go, of course there's free will. We have the choice all the time. And while it's true, I have free will. I can choose to pick up a cold drink or pick up a hot drink. I can choose of my many books that I have in my library. I can choose the one that I want to read. However... Those choices are made stronger or less strong based on your past history. Mm -hmm. And while, yes, you have free will, the reality is, and it, it all depends on how you define free will, because there are those that would argue that yeah. it does not exist. This reminds me of would, um, Sam Harris's uh, yes. recent, yes, it's very interesting, yes. um, the neuroscientist. What I, but I think the way, the way I look at it as a trainer is... What you're hoping for with your animals is while they have free will, and believe me, let's talk about a difficult medical behavior that an animal is really uncomfortable with. Because I'm a positive reinforcement trainer, my animals do have the choice not to participate. And 
not participating does not have dire consequences. Nothing bad is going to happen. And they do on occasion say, I don't want to do that behavior right now. But more often than not, they choose to do it. And the reason they choose to do it is because I have provided, I have made it a reinforcing behavior. I have provided an environment that makes it, I always like to say fun to do. And then someone says operationalize fun. And what I mean by that is that it's, <laughs> that it's well reinforced. And, um, and so that's, how you get animals to make those choices is by making it worth their while, by making it very reinforcing. Um, and can an animal choose not to participate? Yes. And do there have to be dire consequences if they refuse? No. But if you keep moving the equation into the direction of providing the reinforcement for the desired behavior, you are going to see the the behavior increase in 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 reliability and you're going to see the animals choose what you want them to choose most of the time That's and awesome. i i just i just i don't I, i'm not a good one to ask what it means what free will means because i've always wondered who yeah. believes yeah we have free will yeah. but i also know that uh you know when i go into a restaurant with a very 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 large menu there is a tendency for me to go with the thing that i have found tastiest that has satisfied me the most and 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 there are those who always pick something different but the reinforcer for them has usually been the novelty of something new and so that's what pr pr promotes their choosing of something different and, and it, it it goes back to our reinforcement history yes yeah that remind actually reminded me of that little passage in the book another fantastic bit about um the donkeys i can't remember the, the exact uh, chapter I think, I think it's just, you describe it something as a good donkey or trained donkey, if I remember rightly. Well, it was, it was, the story is, is about a, uh, a breeder that uh, we were getting uh, some donkeys from, and they were taught that the, the woman who took care of these donkeys, who obviously loved the donkeys, mm, yeah. said, oh, we don't train our donkeys. And, and, and then she would call one over, it would come over and she would, and they would brush, she would, could brush it or she'd call another one over and put a halter on it. And, and I said, but they're being, you're, you're doing great behavior with them. And they just, and she says, oh, they just like me. They're just, they're just, uh, uh, very friendly. And, and she was very much for her. She never thought about training, but what I liked about it, um, um, was it was a great example that even if you don't think you're training, you don't want to call it training. She had no aversion to training, but to yeah. her, training was tricks that you do for some, for, you know, if her horse had been trained to jump over a hurdle or her horse had been, or her horse, her donkey had been trained to jump over a hurdle or had been trained to, to, to do something like that, that would have been training in her mind. But because it was just part of being everyday good care and they were good girls uh they did what she wanted and and for me although i'm a big proponent of training i didn't want to sit there and argue with her and say you are training i just want to say well you're right you have a great relationship with your animals they do enjoy they do like you and she's happy with that she doesn't care if she's called a trainer but she was doing really good training. It just, <laughs> yeah. it just, she didn't realize that she was. And everyone's it shows happy. You, yeah, it shows you how much, you know, once you 
have that training mind I mean she doesn't want to label it that obviously but that's going through her her mind isn't it um it, it you just take it for granted maybe and don't right. see it as as um specific training sessions I mean I know right. I'm, I'm always feeling guilty that I don't do training with my dogs enough but then I actually if I sat down and wrote down how much time I interacted with them what they gained food for what they gained lap time for you know all the stuff I did I'm pretty much training them all the time yeah and that's what I find often with my clients I I'll, I'll work with a client who says oh, I'm not really a trainer I've never done any training and I walk into their house and their dog is really well behaved and goes to its bed and does these different things and and I'll say well you've trained really well. No, no, no. I mean, she's just a well-behaved dog. But you watch, <laughs> you watch that person and that person really has good training skills without realizing it. And they reinforce the dog appropriately and they, they, they do the right things because a lot about training comes naturally. It's a, it's a natural science. And because it's a natural science, people will do what works and they don't know that they're training. They haven't learned training rules but like dr susan friedman often says you don't have to have studied the laws of physics you don't have to know why gravity works the way it does when you get up in the morning your feet will put me pulled to the floor and if i hold a pen in the air and let go of it it will drop and we don't go oh that's amazing <laughs> drops to the floor that happens to my pen too it's because that's gravity. And so, of course, we adapt our life around what the world gives us. And because training is a natural science, we find that when something works for us, we use it. And that's why there are a lot of people who use punishment and a lot of people who use reinforcement. Both work. And when we use it and we see that it solves our problem or accomplishes our goal, we use it again. So that's why there are those that use punishment a lot and there are those that use reinforcement a lot. It has to do with what they've experienced and what's reinforced them. And if they've gotten the behavior they were looking for or got rid of the behavior they wanted to get rid of, they've been reinforced for using whatever tool it was that they were using. And that's why so many people end up training without realizing it because it's, it's a natural science. It's always going to happen around you, whether you're conscious of it or not. I love that. Um, and jumping from one sort of simple training, so um, okay. living with dogs, to um, training butterflies to swarm on cue. Oh, my God, yes. We, we have to talk about this story <laughs> because it's fascinating. And Steve and I were trying not to give too many spoilers away to the listeners, but we would love to hear you tell us the tale that you you, you put in the book. Yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a fascinating unbelievable uh, opportunity that I had. Um, there was a, um, a director of a um, botanical garden in the UK, and she was uh, interested. Every year they, 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 they take over a football, a soccer stadium in somewhere in the UK, and they, uh, they organize this beautiful garden. And every year the theme of the garden is a bit different. And in 2015, the, uh, the, uh, the theme of the garden was about symbiotic relationships. And, and so they decided that in their garden that particular year, they were going to include butterflies. And they had 
dozens and dozens of species of butterflies. And we ended up, they ended up with, they estimated at the beginning that they had 10,000 butterflies, but I think it was a lot more because they kept having new butterflies come out into the thing. So she had had this idea that uh, wouldn't it be cool if for their gala performance that they would have a, um, uh, the London Symphony Orchestra would be playing and that on cue could butterflies be trained to fly from one side of the stadium over the audience's head to the other side of the stadium. And everybody she had talked to said, I, I don't know if butterflies are trainable. I don't know if that's possible. But many of the people that she talked to, I think she started in the UK and then she she branched out to Europe and finally she reached out to, to the States and because everybody she talked to, not everybody, but many of them she talked to, she says, I don't know if that's possible, but you know who you ought to talk to? There's this bloke in the States. He, <laughs> yeah. he says that you can train anything. If um, can do it, then Ken Ramirez can. <laughs> and, and, and she was told, you know, he says in his classes all the time that, that, that earthworms can be trained. And so if he can train an earthworm, I'm sure he can train a butterfly. So I got this. I got this communication out of the blue and got on a phone call with her and she's telling me this idea she had and she just wanted to know in my experience that I think it would be possible. And I said, well, you know, I don't really know a lot about butterflies, but if you have people who understand the biology and sensory mechanism of butterflies and understand what it is they eat and understand what it is they see and hear, how you would cue them, then there's, it should not be a difficult thing to train butterflies and training them to fly across the stadium. I don't know how far they normally fly, but, but really you're talking about an A to B behavior. It's no different than teaching your dog to come to you. You're just asking it to be a butterfly instead and make the distance greater. And, and she said, wonderful. That's, <coughs> that's great news. And she said, how would you like to join our team? And I said, I'd love to join our team, your team. Uh, the, the, the plan was to do this during the summer. I was planning on being in Europe for a part of that time anyway. So I said, I'd love to join your team. And she said, wonderful. And she said, I'll get the paperwork to you soon. And I remember hanging up the phone and I went, oh, my God. I don't know <laughs> anything about butterflies. I have no clue. All I know is that they fly and they're pretty and that's all I do. And uh, but she put me in touch with her biologist, her butterfly biology team, and I started asking questions about what do they eat and can they see, do they hear, how could we cue them, and um, and uh, began realizing there was a lot of lot of different things that we decided to test out. The butterflies in the garden. It was in a huge stadium, and so there were like 5,000 butterflies on the east side of the stadium, and then there was 3,000 butterflies on the <laughs> north side of the stadium. They were all over the place, but we decided to divide them by their geographic locations, and there were three major groups of butterflies, and we had three different reinforcers, and we had three different possible cues, and so we decided to try each of the different reinforcers with different groups of butterflies and try different, re, uh, different cues with each of the different groups of butterflies. And as I was talking to them, I said, I, I feel like it's important that we, we experiment a little bit so that we can see what's going to work the best. And, you know, maybe if, if two of the cues or two of the reinforcers work or three of them work, we could have flights from three different directions. And, um, and the director glommed onto that and said, 
we can have three flights? I said, well, I, I don't know if we can have three flights. I, I'm suggesting that we can try and experiment. And, um, and so we began the process. And, and I suddenly realized first, trying to train 10,000 animals at once uh, was a little bit of an overwhelming challenge, mainly because what we wanted to do was sound a cue or show a cue and have the butterflies fly. And I wanted to start by pairing the cue with the immediate delivery of reinforcers. Well, when you have that many animals spread out over so much room, how do you get a reinforcer to them? And so we decided since we were working with each of three different groups that we could focus on one group and then do a training session with the second group and then with the third group. But I, to get all of those butterflies fed, we, they would get fed in the, with these big bowls that would be filled with either nectar or fruit or a variety of different reinforcers. And it was important that we pair the cue with the reinforcer. So we, we needed 50 bowls spread out over this huge area and we needed the reinforcer to appear when this when the cue appeared and so we brought out 50 bowls covered them with tops and we had 25 people we had to have to, we had we used we had the stadium had three janitors and they came out to help us they had a couple of groundskeepers and they came out to help us we had because they need the, to take the, the lids off at the right time don't they we needed they, them yeah. to we needed all 50 bowls that when the cue sounded the, the reinforcer would appear. So each, we had 50 bowls and we had 25 people and each of us were responsible for two lids that we would take off. And, um, and so it was this huge effort, but we, so the first time we did it, we sounded the cue, we took the tops off, the butterflies came and ate. We'd sounded the cue the second time. Later that day, we did a second session. We took the lids off and they came and ate. On the second day, we sounded the cue, and before the lids came off, all the butterflies hovered up, ready to go to the bowl. It was a, it was a wow. chilling moment. It was what like, moment. oh my goodness, yeah. all these butterflies came up on cue, and at that moment, it was only on the second day of training, I said, oh, this is going to work. This is definitely going to work. And then we just began doing making the distance of the bowls further and further, starting with, you know, one meter, then two meters, then three meters. And eventually we took it across the stadium and we had all the butterflies, all three groups, all three queuing mechanisms worked. And we had, a uh, we had all the butterflies trained in 19 days. Uh, we finished early and we had like, a, we had to maintain the behavior for about three and a half weeks after we finished training it so that we could do it for this night gala. And that was a challenge. Butterflies are diurnal, so we had to train them to work at night. We had to get them comfortable with the conditions. And then the other thing that surprised me was when I first started working with the butterflies, I had just begun and we were seeing that everything was working. And uh, we were starting the work in, in May. The gala was going to be in July. And one of the biologists just in passing happened to mention that this particular species of butterfly only lives six weeks and i went what <laughs> and he said, yes they they have a life expectancy of five or six weeks i said well they'll all be dead before we ever get to the gala performance and he goes yes yes they will and i went what do you mean <laughs> and I, I was i was like going what that 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 doesn't make sense and and fortunately it was just a couple of the species had short lifespans most of them have 
I mean, there are some butterflies that have six-month lifespans or nine-month lifespans. They, they aren't a long-lived species, but most of them were going to live. And one of the things that we found fascinating is as new butterflies would come out of their cocoon and join the, uh, join the uh, population, those younger butterflies, if I could be anthropomorphic, we would sound the cue, the older butterflies would take off, and you could almost see these younger <laughs> butterflies go, wait for me yeah. and they go running and flying after them and uh it was amazing it was a a, a great learning experience for me uh, but it's a great example of how if you have knowledge of training it, it applies across all species what i didn't have was knowledge about the biology and natural history of butterflies but i had a great team of people who knew that and so with their help we were able to put a program together that was able to to make this program uh make program possible it's just amazing ken what a story it's like a job of a lifetime really isn't it, and... <laughs> it you know it is and what's interesting is if you had asked me just prior a year before name a species of animal that you've never worked with it would have never occurred to me to say butterflies because it wasn't even in my brain as something that I would ever try to train. And so it, it, it was a great experience. It, it really taught me. But again, when people say, well, that's amazing, I think to myself, well, have you ever taught your dog to come when you call it? And they go, of course. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. You're just getting an animal to go from point A to point B. But because it's butterflies and we ever thought of them as being trainable, we think it's an incredible thing. But it was really a relatively easy task once we got the logistics worked out. I was smiling from ear to ear when I read that. And that, yeah. that's testament to, I mean, that's just one of many amazing stories about your life and the anecdotes in the book. I, I was literally, I was calling downstairs going, Karen, you got to come and, you got to come and hear this. And then straight <laughs> yeah. away told her the story. It's so good. I've got one question though. Something occurred to me. Did, so did the people that were at the gala, did they know that they had been trained to do this? Like, or did they yes. think it was a, it was a, like a, a fluke of some stranger? Yeah. Would it matter? No, it, it would have mattered, but they, no. they actually, um, for the, 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 the gala, they, uh, the orchestra played and the butterflies flew and everything like, Ooh, and ah, <laughs> and then, uh, and then afterwards they, we did a number of presentations and, uh, okay. Uh, I was not able to be at the gala. I was in Chicago when the gala finally uh, oh, nice. took place. But I uh, attended the gala through uh, video conferencing, and I dressed up in my my tux, and I was there. And they put me on the screen to uh, explain to the group how we taught the butterflies oh, to wow. fly from place to place. And the they they handed out this very glossy. Uh, booklet they called it a a, a souvenir a, a, a souvenir brochure I think they called it and um, and as I was when they sent me a copy of it I was paging through it and they talked about the history of the gardens and then they had the people involved and they had the director of the gardens and the biologist and then I got to a page and I had my own page dedicated oh, wow. to me with pictures of me with the butterflies and they the title they, they they called it Ken Ramirez and they 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 titled me Butterfly Trainer and Butterfly Flight Designer and I thought oh <laughs> what a I, that's kind of the coolest coolest title I've ever had yeah. I'm really really proud of that the Butterfly Flight Designer <laughs> did, did you immediately have a load of cards made that? <laughs> I should have exactly I what I would do. <laughs> Let's face it, there aren't many jobs as a tra as a trainer when you work with animals where you can wear a tuxedo either. So no, no, it was very interesting. I was uh, 
uh, it was being broadcast or being uh, done in in London by the uh, BBC, uh, but they had an re- agreement with CNN here in the United States. So I was at the CNN studios and I came wow. in dressed in my tux and uh, wow. you know it was it was uh, it was afternoon for me it was a 9 p.m uh, gala in london and i remember it was i don't remember uh um uh, early afternoon that i went into the studios to do it but it was fun it was fun because i got to watch it and i remember as i sat there and watched this thing on uh, unfold and sitting there waiting in the studio and i'm watching the flight i was crying i was i was like i was I quite am. emotional because i thought i can't believe i trained this this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool to see i don't blame you and it just you know yes as trainers we know the fundamentals of learning and it should be able to be applied across all species but i just think lovely stories like that just show the power of, of positive reinforcement and of I, a good training plan and if people maybe hear that you know we were talking earlier about how uh, you know people fall into the reinforcement categories of what they've experienced and maybe maybe some punishment based trainers might listen to a story like that and think wow if we can train butterflies then maybe maybe i need to do some reading yeah well it just shows that that anything's possible you just have to understand the science and figure out okay how are we going to do this how do we deliver the reinforcers how do we cue it what do we do need to set up to make it easier for the animals to learn whatever it is we want them to learn there's a brilliant bit at the start of the book, actually, that that actually reminded me of, because I imagine this might may have gone through your mind, Ken, um, where you're talking about it. I think it's called something borrowed, something true, which is different uh, quotes and phrases that, right. you, that you like from from inspirational people or colleagues throughout the years. And the, the one that um, I was thinking of then was Karen Pryor's one about it's just behavior. So maybe that right. went through your brain when you were when they were asking you about mm-hmm. the butterflies, because that that might seem quite a complex thing. Well, might, maybe not complex in terms of A to B, but, you know. No, no, it does. You know, you're right. The, the article you're talking about, about something borrowed, something true is uh, I've never been one who loves sayings, you know, these mm-hmm. trite little sayings that people have. But yet. Over the years, I realized that there are mentors, teachers, professors, people that say things, and I go, oh, that resonates with me. And so the one that Karen uh, said, I always would hear her say it. She, I remember one of, uh, one of uh, I remember a trainer, a really good trainer, set, was, was really distressed over the fact that she was dealing with a, an aggressive dog and she just didn't know how to deal with that aggressive dog. And Karen's response was, it's just behavior. You're a very good trainer. You can train it. And and it really helped that trainer recognize, yes, it's extreme behavior, but it is just behavior. And if you know how to work with behavior, you can figure out how to solve it. And so that was a saying that, that really resonated with me. And I, I think about that a lot, you know, when people say, but this is such a difficult thing. And I think to myself, yeah, but it's governed by the rules of behavior. And we just have to figure out what it is that's reinforcing that behavior, what it is that's that's causing them to, to, to do what it is they're doing. And if you can puzzle through that, it's how I've been successful as a consultant is because I have a, a problem-solving protocol that I go through. And, I, and on the outside, yes, a, a really challenging behavior can seem daunting at first. But if you go back to that, it is behavior and you know the laws of behavior. So let's figure out what's causing this to happen and it can help guide you towards a solution as opposed to being overwhelmed by the 
complicating factors or by the the enormity of what the problem appears to be you can break it down into smaller component parts and find a solution fantastic that's very good advice as well because i'm sure we all have cases or you know even with our own dogs where you just get a bit overwhelmed by the right, the, right. you know task at hand so um you know sitting down and breaking it down is a really really useful thing to do yeah it absolutely is how are you finding things with uh, COVID? Is the faculty still teaching? Are you? Are you- yes, we uh, we yeah we uh, we had to really adapt. You know, uh, Karen Pryor clicker training. Everything that we do is 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 getting people together to teach. Uh, we have our clicker expos. We have our courses here at the ranch. We have our. Karen Pryor Academy's certified training partners who get together through workshops. But what we have been able to do is we have been able to adjust some of our workshops. So all of our KPA courses have a component that is online. And so we we are really familiar with teaching online and teaching virtually. And for our live workshops, we have found a way to move them to a virtual platform. We, uh, there's some elements that we miss, but we are still able to provide a really good education. And then we are planning for a live meeting of our students when, when, it, when it's allowed, when, when it's safe and, 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 uh, and we're able to do that again, we are. But we've, we've all had to adjust. It's, it's probably one of the most unique things that I've experienced in my lifetime that everybody around the world, whether I'm talking to someone in China or Japan or someone in Australia or in the UK or in Europe or in South America, we are all dealing with the same thing. Um, So one of the things I've done too is uh, I've started a, uh, I do a weekly broadcast. It's called Live from the Ranch. And every Thursday, I think it's uh, 8 p.m. London time, uh, but I do every Thursday, I do a live broadcast where I uh, bring a guest in to talk training. Turns out to my my broadcast this week happens to be about my book. Uh, So you're you're feeding me too. We'll have to um, put a link to it on our Facebook page as well, so we can, yeah. everyone can tune in. If they're not able to join us live, uh, we do record them, and, and they're on the website, so the people are able to, to do that. So Fabulous. Fab. Fabulous. Well, I think, I think we'll wrap it up there, if that's okay with you, Ken. Um, massive, massive thanks again for coming on to join us. Um, My you, pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Have you got anything other than your amazing book that you want to plug or, or throw out there or...? <laughs> Anything at all? Well, no, I mean, the, the, the big thing I'm doing right now, as I said, is these live broadcasts, and, and they are free to anybody who wants to join. Um, they're noon uh, in the Pacific time zone in the U.S. They're 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern time zone. They're 8 p.m. London time zone. And uh, they're live every Thursday. Um, they're a lot of fun. It's a great way for the training community to come together. I answer questions. I do a live training session on the air. Um, and, and it's just something that I started doing during this pandemic because people were feeling kind of isolated. And I, it's a way to sort of bring everybody together. So I encourage people to join us. And when the pandemic is over, I, I don't think I'll be able to do them weekly, but I probably will continue to do monthly broadcasts because it's been fun and I, I, I've enjoyed doing that. And so I hope people will tune in. And if not, they can go to our website and look up uh, It's uh, a section on the website says watch live. And you go to that section and it has all of our past broadcasts. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, I'll That's I'll great. be sending you a personal message because I've got this idea about how to teach ten thousand fleas to roller skate. So uh, 
It's just behavior. Just behavior. <laughs> just behavior. <laughs> On that note, then, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, we'll send you a link to the podcast when it's up. And um, yeah, let us know what you think. Thank you so All much right, for thank your time, you. Ken. Oh, it's been brilliant. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. You too. Bye. Good Lord. I'm going to go and put my tuxedo on. <laughs> what <laughs> one absolutely inspirational legend of a human being. Um, you know, the more we talk to these amazing people, they're just so humble and, you know, they just want to share their knowledge. I, I just love people in the animal training and behaviour sector because they're all about they're all about the giving, aren't they? I, I've experienced this a lot, actually, and I experienced it just then. He had a really calming effect on me. Yeah, I feel zen. Yeah, in fairness, actually, it could be the uh, four pints of pet remedy I sprayed around the house. <laughs> Are you overdosing <laughs> on valerian root? <laughs> so I won't, I won't discount that, but no, he did have a You know a you're very... not supposed to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> just injecting it. I'm going straight in. It's intravenous now. That's where it's going. Um... <laughs> I he may he makes me feel like like there's no pressure, you know. It makes me feel yeah. like there's there's just these certain things we understand these things. Let's look at that, and then everything else yeah. from there should fall into place. Do you and know I love what? That. You know what I think as well. So when he writes about how to how to kind of frame a training experience for an animal, I think he does that with people because mm. I just felt safe. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Safe yeah. to learn, you know. Like he, he, yeah. He's he's clearly good at what he does, really, isn't he? Well, so, yeah. What yeah. a lovely, lovely man. So, the evidence speaks for itself. Let's be honest. Yeah. And non non judgmental as well. This is a common theme that we're getting from a lot of the people that we speak to. There's no there's no real judgment there. No, you know, no, we're no. so. Oh my God. Let me um. Let me just have a quick look. Talk amongst yourselves for a second, because there's a quote in here, in that in that section we were talking about, which is the something learn. Uh, sorry, something oh, borrowed, borrowed, something true. Borrowed quotes, yeah. Where are you? Oh, here we go. Yeah, Th this classic. This is from a guy called Steve White. Um, the only thing two trainers can agree on is what the third trainer is doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That sums up our our sector. Yeah, I um, think you know maybe uh, um uh, the sort of levels that I. I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. It makes me sound like everyone that I talk to and everything is really judgmental. But it's, you've, there's a lot of that in there, like rolling around on the Facebooks oh, and things yeah. like that. And and of course, people are doing stuff that in ways that you wouldn't agree and things along those lines. But, you know, you never you never change anyone's mind from with an argument, do you? You never do no. that. You have to, have to have that. I was watching a fantastic... I haven't finished watching it yet. But if, you, if anyone's got the new Disney um, Plus at the moment, most I think everyone's... You know, going for all of their email addresses, <laughs> getting seven I months did, of free subscriptions. But um, I did notice a Disney Plus notification in the box from the bookshelf uh, inbox. Actually. Yep, I've used that email address. <laughs> Shh, made me you get me so in much. trouble with Walt. <laughs> <laughs> he won't mind. We're real. I haven't done any, so you can have mine. It's oh, fine. brilliant! That's awesome. Then yeah. I'm running out. Um, so yeah, there's a brilliant documentary on the National Geographic um channel uh, about Jane Goodall. Unfortunately, not related to me in any way shape or form i've tried yeah, so okay. hard to have some sort of semblance of something of some way but no, no there isn't any um but there's this brilliant quote from her in there that i'll hammer i haven't got the exact quote but it's like you know you, you never in order to change minds you have to engage the heart 
And like what you yeah. said about other trainers reading that story, reading or hearing that story about the butterflies, that's a real heart changing story. Completely. I hope that came across. That was yeah, the point no, I was trying did. to make. It's like, you know, uh, there is no point any of us getting in, he said, she said on Facebook. No. But actually, if you can, you know, hear a story about how some bloke trains some butterflies to fly from one place to another, uh, you know, it, it might just, you know, everyone has their own um, <laughs> breaking points, the wrong word, but, you know, they have their own thing that, turns their cogs and makes them go oh hang on a minute yeah that little uh, maybe i need to reconsider my stance on something that switch um, and moment. you know that butterfly story could be it or any number of the brilliant anecdotes and stories that that is in ken's book so hopefully that interview was a nice flavor of um of what what is to come if you purchase the book and read it with your own eyes oh hang on a minute I hear a bugle trumpeting because here we go into our practical application section. So it's a seam seamless. Did you like that? Seamless. That was seamless, wasn't it? <laughs> a ten hit practical applications, ladies and gentlemen. So there's our sergeant major um, and our bugle holding the practical application section. Um, so many things you could talk about with this one as ever. But I'm going to I'm going to look at it's actually from the same section that I was talking about that Patricia McConnell said the book is worth it just for these four pages. And that section is chapter one training matters. And this four pages is, um, is entitled the six most overlooked fundamentals of successful training. They go for a look. Uh, they go for a lot of the six most overlooked fundamentals, um, from making sessions fun, enriching the environment when you're not training, training core behaviours, reading body language, all things we've talked about before, actually, mm. which is nice, isn't it, when you read a book yeah. and and you get your your own things confirmed. Um, but the one that I really wanted to talk about, which I found really interesting, is number one, which is maintain an adequate rate of reinforcement. So I'm going to read this out. Sorry if I ham it up a bit. So a high rate of reinforcement can fix many problems and improve animal performance quickly. When clients use a thin schedule of reinforcement, um, I see animals that are confused or frustrated. Sometimes trainers use less reinforcement because they're trying to conserve food for later training. And sometimes trainers believe that experienced animals no longer need continuous reinforcement. When training starts to break down, however, rate of reinforcement is one of the first things I examine. I understand the need to de- uh, the need and desire to reduce reliance on food, but trainers must word, work hard to develop alternative reinforcers. With a concerted and purposeful effort, trainers can use a wide variety of reinforcers other than food. Once established, these non-food reinforcers must be monitored and evaluated carefully to make sure they remain effective. Um, so I like that a lot. I read a quote today as well, again, from Patricia McConnell in that little article about she was always amazed by the speed at which Ken Ramirez and Steve White, the guy that did the other little quote we're talking about, yeah. um, reward. They are like rapidly reinforcing new behaviours to a speed that some of us would probably look at and go, whoa, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then that always moves. And let's face it, you know, we, sometimes I feel that we are... Um, trying to we're, we're having to kind of convince people that that food works mm-hmm. and so to you know to actually hear it like that is is great yeah. really from because... the horse's mouth so to speak exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah and um I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit Nat, about how how you would go about converting so for those people that are worried about food 
how you convert it onto a different reinforcer, like maybe a toy or something along those lines. Yeah, well, I think I can't remember where I read it now. It's one of those things. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't choose the what's reinforcing for our dogs. You know, yeah. we can we can point them in the right direction and we can maybe build um, the emotions around particular reinforcers. But um, identifying what is reinforcing for your dog is kind of step one really isn't yeah. it and um and if food is one of those things because you know it is easy to be able to to give your dog a, a piece of food and they do need to eat um then why not use it to, mm. to our advantage really and i'm not saying that every morsel should be measured out and you know them eating and being satiated is contingent on good behavior but for certain aspects of their life why not why not use it yeah. um, and why not to continue to use it as well write a list as well write a list of all the things your dog yeah. needs. um you know if they if they enjoy toys then a lot of behaviors can be you can use toys for just as effectively yeah. but like you like nat said there um you know it's not up to us you might want your yeah. dog to work for toys but they might prefer fillet steak sir I mean, I honestly think that I could probably train fish to do absolutely anything using the reinforcer of licking your beard. <laughs> I think you could too. <laughs> I'll be up for he that. He loves it. Yeah, let's do, let's do a scientific study. Post-COVID-19. <laughs> there's loads Jack in Russell's there, fish. And beard licking. If you're listening, fish, there's loads in there, mate. I'm saving it all up for you. And uh, do you know what else happened as well? My clippers broke. So oh, no. I am Mine becoming too. I'm becoming Mine Steve too. Man of the Woods. Oh, oh, did they got... did your clippers break when you shaved your dog's bum? <laughs> no, I had to use a different pair of clippers to shave my dog's bum. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten hear. about that. I may have I may have grazed a very sensitive area of Draxy dog's anatomy. He's forgiven me. He forgave me at the time, to be honest. I was trying to get a mat off, you know? I think, <laughs> I think maybe having a bald bottom is, is better I than got... having a big mat attached to it. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a Facebook message one morning just saying, I've just shaved <laughs> Drax's beep. <laughs> 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 Which led to a whole interesting conversation about, we won't yeah. go into it here, but yeah. What can yeah, I say? No, the clippers broke before that. This is my backup. backup <laughs> I was going to say, clippers. how big was that mat? <laughs> <laughs> right, have you got a practical application? Uh, for one? I have. Move, moving on. Yeah, moving on from Drax's butthole. Um, yeah, I'd, uh, I haven't got a specific um, uh, section to read or anything, um, but I, for anyone out there that is a bit mind-boggled about how to how to train or how to frame a, a good training experience for your dog or you know you're a bit you get yourself in a muddle with what of which of the four quadrants you're using and what's positive yeah. reinforcement and blah 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 all that terminology this is not a jargon based book but it does um uh, write about those concepts in a very conversational manner and actually i think that most of the book will give you a better understanding of those concepts of training and therefore allow you to um, better apply your your knowledge and your practical yeah. abilities to a training plan. So I think the whole the whole book, I'm whacking the whole book in. Pra the practical application is read the book. 
Yeah, it's read the book. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, it's the cop out, but it's true. <laughs> it's not a cop out. It is, and you're right. And you, it can be daunting sometimes. You know, picking up some of these books and looking through and, and getting your head around the science and, like you say, quadrants and yeah. all of this lovely stuff. Um, you know, and and some and you know, getting be inspired first, learn the theory exactly. later is the way is what I would say because you know the, the, you know if if you that that excitement that you get from hearing the stories really really enthuses you to go and try something out at the very least yeah. may it might not be with a butterfly um but yeah. you know you, you if you've got a dog if you've got a cat husband um you know <laughs> you can try this stuff out on anyone exactly exactly <laughs> there we go hark i hear a greg <laughs> see what i'm doing now i'm doing going really i soon. love it i love it <laughs> i love the seamless segues from one to another yeah and then i ruin it by going you've seen how seamless this is <laughs> <laughs> yeah true here Point we go then out. greg wallace whoa it's a greg wallace moment <laughs> Ooh. greggy greg 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 of the greg Greggy greg here we go um so i'm gonna go first yep um and Mine was just simply uh, in uh, comment what page it was. What page is it? Uh, it is page number thirty in the so, yeah training matters chapter chapter one. Page page thirty. Um, Ken says um, he's often asked about how he prioritizes a training plan, basically, and I just like the fact that he um, step one was basically. Um, he won't move forward until the animal is happy to approach him and eat in his presence. And I just think, you know, all the stuff that I'm doing with Drax and all the hierarchy mm. of needs stuff, it just really resonated with me. Cause I was like, yes. And, and the stuff we talked about with Jane, you know, when you're, you've got a, when, when you're goal orientated, mm. you forget what's in front of you. And yep. actually if your dog's not approaching you to eat something wrong with your relationship or the situation or the environment and, and you shouldn't move on until you've cracked that stage. A shout out to Jane Arden, actually, because um, I've been reading her book a lot recently and um, it's been really, really helpful with um, Peach and understanding things. And it's really good. Oh, that's good. Really good. So shout out there. Shout good out, old Jane. Shout out to Nick as well. I was supposed to credit him in the interview, but I completely forgot because he was the person that told me about the um, the monkeys, the monkey training oh, no, with Ken. I, so I listened to um, Nick's interview with, Ken as a bit of research so hi Nick hello Nick hello um so yeah okay so my mine mine is um kind of intertwined with yours um uh because there's a there's a chapter called um or a, a part of the book called Tiger Trust which is on page 66 and it's a it's a it's the tale I won't go into it too much give too many spoilers but it's a tale of two um um zoo handlers that are looking after tigers and the tigers are gradually getting more and more aggressive to them um and so they call ken in to have a look and and see what might be happening and basically long story short what's happened is they've pushed things too far too soon um mm. and they strip everything back and go right back to the foundation levels um and there's a f there's such a good quote right at the end of this section here and this was going to be one of my gregor's moments but one more but um, we are all anxious to get the important behaviours and train the bigger and better things. But there is no more important behaviour than the foundational skill of eager participation by the animal. I think that, that twines that, really into yours, doesn't it? That's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's a lot. Hang on. Slam moment. 
That's yeah. a better one. Yeah, book slam moment there. Um, and the other one that I actually, we've already discussed it because it was about the donkeys. Um, I just loved the the fact, let me get to it here because this is in page 29. Make yourself a cup of tea while Steve is not prepared. Here we go. Um, right. So, um, yeah. So he, he said in the interview, didn't he, about the fact that he wasn't going to tell her that, you know, you are training your donkeys. I just loved that idea. We already talked about it, but the oh, idea you've gone that Dalek. oh, I've got I've gone Dalek. I'm back. My back. Can you hear me? Lost Nat. That's that's uh, in frozen mode. Dun 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 dun. I am. I'll wait a minute. Are you back? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey. Yes. Hello. Sorry. Don't know back what in the now. room. <laughs> back in the oh, room. Yeah. Apparently I... my internet connection is unstable. Right. Anyway, back. Yeah. Unstable. Um, so yeah, um, I loved the idea that it doesn't, ha- it's, he calls it training by any other name. Um, yeah. and, and really it, it goes, it doesn't really matter what you call it, does it? And, you know, if, if you, if you've arrived at the idea because your love for animals is just having this symbiotic relationship where everyone's happy and cares for one another, then yeah, you might be training an animal. You might just be caring for an animal. It's all intertwined. It's all about well being. I, ca- I kind of, um, yeah, that resonated with me because mm. I don't think I do a lot of training. But yeah, but like I, you said, if you wrote down everything, you probably are. Yeah. And what is training anyway? Do you know what I mean? It's it's a yeah. it's a word that we stick to it, but really it is. Here comes Steve. Like has got no place being big and philosophical like this. But really, <laughs> really, I guess it is a um uh, you know, just just living harmoniously with another species you know understanding their well-being providing everything there is for them but also coming to a balance there in some way shape or form you know so um he ends in just saying that uh so i thought i'd read this bit out i wish all of the people who interact with animals were that caring that thoughtful that in tune with their animals needs for some people like sally and leon who were the people that were looking after the donkeys good training comes naturally when you care about your animals, are responsive to their needs and listen to what they tell you, you end up shaping desired behaviour. Training by any other name is still good for the animal. I love that. So oh, there you go. Another I slam moment. Yep. Slam it. I'm going to nick that for my uh, APBC. Um, good. Good stealing. Thing in my bobby. Good stealing. You should do that. Yeah. yeah because, you know. Obviously with credit. With, with yeah, credit. throw yeah. a credit in there. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, exciting. We've got, um, I, I put the call out, didn't I? I put the call out on the Facebook yeah. page today for some questions. We've long oh, talked about doing some questions. So, um, I we did promise some. that we would, um, we would, uh, ask them all. I don't say all. How many are there? Three. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Three. I was going to say, yeah. it's like 20. We might not have time to do 20. So three, <laughs> que- three whole questions. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Um, hopefully I can answer some of them. <laughs> okay. So, um, we're going to need a jingle for this, aren't we? We are. You're going to have to make one. Hang on. Let's have a quick but anyway, gap. Let's have a quick gap for a jingle. Question. 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 Wow, what a jingle. Wow, that's an amazing jingle. I'm putting and unnecessary you, pressure you just, on myself. You just made that? Yeah, I literally just. Oh, wow. Just while you made me a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so are you ready? You're going to go first. 
Oh, okay, gold. This is from Karen B. Don't throw Hi, me Karen. under the bus. <laughs> no, it's okay, because you, you can answer half of this because you've done it. Yeah, I can um, also press stop, research, yeah. <laughs> come back. <laughs> if you wrote a book about dogs yourselves, what would it be about? Oh, okay. Well, this is a good question for me. Good question because I've written a I've written yeah. a book about dogs. You have written a dog um, book. For those of you that well, you all know because there's an annoying advert on the front end of all of these podcasts, which is about the book that I wrote about dogs. Um, so me and my <laughs> <laughs> me and my um, my old mentor um, Sally Bradbury, who uh, obviously Nat's mentor as well, back in mm-hmm. the day when we used to work at Scallywags. We wrote a book together about, um, it's a children's book about two dogs called Jack and Billy. um, And the whole premise was it's a book that adults can read to their kids or kids can read themselves, um, but everyone would learn something about it. So so I really enjoyed the the process of writing this. It took me a long time. I procrastinated like probably like no other human has ever procrastinated (laughs) in the history of Earth. But um, uh, yeah, I think it's part of the process. I read some research, and procrastination so. is part of the um, the kind of creative process. So okay, right. I I work really well under pressure as well, or at least I've fooled myself into thinking that, so <laughs> that I can be lazy on the lead up to deadlines yeah. and things along those lines. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really really nice story um about two puppies that go to different houses um one is brought up in one way one is brought up in another way and and shenanigans ensue um shenanigans. and so yeah um i also illustrated it as well so um i used to when i was growing up before um i mean i've always loved animals but before i um had any inkling of being a dog trainer i really wanted to be a comic book artist um and i used to draw and draw and draw and draw you'd always find me sat at the top of the stairs um, at my parents' house with all the colouring pencils and everything out and I just <laughs> draw and draw, make my own comics. I made my own little publication companies for the comics as well and everything. It was Wow. It, I used to love it. And I actually, I'd stopped drawing for a long time. I do little bits bits and bobs. So um, doing the book was a, a way back into that. So it was a very um, uh, rewarding experience for me. It really, really was. So um, yeah, if anyone's interested, we got a Facebook uh, page, Jack and Billy, puppy tales on facebook you can get it on amazon um yeah um yeah so there you go i, I wrote a book well so worth a that's look that's what it's about good question thank you someone would think um, i paid her to ask that i know yeah have you, have you? <laughs> no i haven't but i will <laughs> um am i allowed to answer it shall i answer yeah, of course it you as well? so uh karen i am i'm currently doing my phd whether it'll ever get done i don't know um but there's a book in there somewhere and it's um uh, it's on the subject of how uh, pet dog training methods have changed since the 1970s. Um, and so I've been delving through the Kennel Club archive and looking at the advice that's um, been around and the different methods of that advice being uh, disseminated to the general dog owning public. So there might be something in there. Um, I'd also like to write a book about um, Drax dog. Um, mm, that'd be amazing. So, uh, yeah, whether any of them will ever happen, I don't know, but they're in there. Do you? Well, obviously, you keep a good because of the Facebook page. You keep quite a record of all of the the processes and the things and the and the timescales. Mm. Half the battle is that sometimes when it comes to writing, isn't it? Just keep having a an account of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd like to hear so about the Facebook page is kind of doing it for me at the moment. Actually, I'm writing um so I'm writing my talk for the um APBC annual conference at the moment, which is online and um if anyone wants to uh, nab a ticket, 
I'll put the link in Barks and Bookshelf um, yeah. post. Um, and I'm compiling like little montages. So um, nice. I put together the first six months and we're on, we've got three months more now. It's nine months the other day that he's been with us. Yeah. So um, anyone that wants, hasn't seen the first six months and wants to have a look, it's natdogs.com forward slash Drax. And there's some videos on there. It's really, really good. They're good, aren't they? Yeah, really, really I, good. I shouldn't say that because I made them myself. No, you should. You should very... say it. Yeah, get um, over there and have a look at those. I can say it. Get over there and have a look. Okay. It's really, really cool. And uh, dare I say, oh, he's a bit emotional. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Good question. Box of tissues at, at the ready. Um, good question. That was really, really good. A very good question. Thank you, Karen. Right. So um, let's move on to our next question, which is from Melissa McHugh McGrath, who I have been messaging and who may well very soon be on this podcast because she has a book. I think her book sounds amazing without giving so any spoilers I. away. But uh, yeah, um, just the title was like, oh, hello. Yes, yeah. I'd really like to read that. So fantastic. And guess what, Steve? What? She's from Boston. Oh, my. What? You got some water. <laughs> <laughs> and a lady. So, so we need to brush up on our Boston accent. Or so I need was... to calm down. Probably well, better thing, either. It? Or we might just like absorb her accent as we're talking to her but she was hilarious <laughs> on the messages because i was like oh my god i feel so embarrassed we were doing impressions last week <laughs> and, she, and then she started spelling her messages um phonetically with a boston oh, accent. oh amazing it yeah it was good oh that's um, brilliant <laughs> so um god i'm she's excited asking, <laughs> she's asking about the uh the logistics of the podcast here so oh. she says do you discuss the book with each other prior to recording or are you going into the recording blind? And then she says in brackets, I mean, with all those eye pricks, someone will end up being blind by the end of this. <laughs> she said, I think we're going to enjoy talking to her. She said, I like it. Fun. Um, I think a mixture of both, don't we? Um, mm. If I'm being honest, um, I, sh- I, I showed the, what I tend to do is I write notes and I plaster them all over my, um, my uh, bookcase here. I stick them all over the place. It's, a, it's horrendous. Um... It's a good system, so you don't forget what you're talking about. I'm really. going to take a picture, although I'd be embarrassed about how um, how messy this is. <laughs> See, when we were recording together, Steve would do this process uh, when I arrived, and it would always involve hunting around for some sellotape somewhere. Stick your thumbs up, um... Matt. I'm taking a picture. Here we go. Got it. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I'll show you how I do it. That, that, that's how I prep. Um, but we do, we do talk, don't we? Um, we do talk beforehand. <laughs> yeah. We do talk. Outside, outside the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> um, uh, and quite often we share a book, don't we, as well? Yeah, um, yeah. So we have to talk. <laughs> yeah, and I like, I'm a real fan of um, stationery, just in case I have not mentioned it. So I have my little pod... See, Steve has his way of doing it. I have my way. I have my little podcast mini clipboard. And then I have, um, I don't know why I'm showing the camera because you guys can't see this, but I have um, little index thingy bobbies and I write notes on there and I put them in the book because um, I can't stand it um, when people write in books or fold pages over. I'm so, terrible for that. I write, yeah, if it's I have, my own yeah. book, I will write in it in a bio You're, and everything. You are a monster. You're I quite like it though. When you get a book, when you get a book like a second hand book or something like that, and you're looking at it, and someone's done that. I quite enjoy that. I quite looking at their own little 
Don't look around. <laughs> that is like, she's got it's a face. It's just, like, no, against, Steve. It's just no, against the just rules. No. <laughs> no, Steve. Uh, do you know what you made me feel by showing your little, um, I'm going to call it a file of facts because I'm a child of the 80s. Um, your That's little okay. file of facts there. A child of the 70s, really, actually. 78. <laughs> um, I'm trying to get away with it. Um, yeah. You made me just feel shabby. Oh, That's I'm so sorry. Was, for it. Have I have I put shade on you? Yeah, have you thrown shade oh, all I'm over really me? Sorry, I'm but... doused in shade, shade and <laughs> slobber. The thing is, though, babe, if I bought you one of these, you wouldn't use it, would you? I'd rip the pages out and stick them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, there's no there's no shame in your there's system. No it's Thank just you. different, and this is why we work together. You know, we complement each other's um, different personalities, and no. I am a freakish neat freak so you you help to compensate that by bringing me over to the scruff side the dark side <laughs> another good question okay um last one mm-hmm. this is from diane beach do you have any experience of using or opinions on the use of herbal natural products to help calm anxious dogs for example skullcap and valerian zilkine tryptophan probiotics etc well I, I think you're the qualified one to talk on this although i have been using a lot of pet remedy uh, recently yeah you yeah you have you i interviewed the um the creators of pet remedy um Did you? yeah when? i went to um um me and jordan shelley went to anchor and went to um the victoria stillwell dog behavior conference oh yeah that was that last summer <sighs> two summers ago i think I think it's because it's always near my birthday, so I've never, I've never been. But they had a stall up there, and this is just when I'd entered into the world of podcasters. The first ever interview I ever did. They were wonderful. They were brilliant, but I couldn't get the interview off the SD card. I still, I tried the other day, actually. So I promised them that I'd do an interview. So if they they are listening by any strange chance, I'm really, really sorry. Maybe we can do another one. Um, But it was really, really interesting. Um, Technology, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, That that seems to be a really, really good product. it works on me. <laughs> I don't know about the dogs. <laughs> so does uh, Pinot Grigio, I find. Yeah, and a mixture of the two. You want about a quarter pet remedy, three quarters Pinot Grigio, and then just With a, a little... smashed up, yeah. smashed up skull cup and Valerian yeah. tablet, and like dra- round the top, like a margarita. And a drab of brandy. Please don't do that, anyone. Don't <laughs> do that. So we've turned into Donald Trump. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that. Um, Okay, so science, the answer. Go. Um, uh, yes, uh, I certainly recommend um, nutraceuticals to uh, clients. Uh, they can be very uh, useful for kind of low-level anxiety um, issues. I put them in a kind of box labelled do no harm, apart from to your wallet, because some of them are boom and expensive. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of... Um, put them together in either herbal stuff so the valerian the lemon balm the chamomile there is some decent research on on that um then you've got the pheromonal ones so you've got um adaptil for example um which uh work on a synthesized pheromone communication um and again there's there's um peer-reviewed research on that then there's the uh dietary supplements so uh, tryptophan, for example, is uh, uh, a precursor to serotonin. So the idea is that if you have more of it in your diet and in your um, in your systems, then you can produce more serotonin. Um, I think uh, the 
there isn't enough research into the real effectiveness of a lot of these. Mm -hmm. You can certainly dig around and find research and anecdotal evidence. Um, uh, if I were going to side on any, I'd probably side on herbal because the plants have been around forever. And there's a lot of study into the human aspects of um, relaxing properties of things like chamomile, for example. Um, I think that they can be used as a, an addition um, to uh, prescription pharmaceuticals in conjunction with discussions with your vet. Um, but I don't think any of them are sort of um, miracle cures, really. Mm. Um, and I am always very open about my scepticism of how well they might work and observer bias from the owner as to whether mm. this magical supplement they're sprinkling on is actually making a difference. Um, at the recent action conference, um, Karen Overall did a, a really good um, uh, uh, presentation about um, prescription meds. And there was another one for whose uh, name I can't remember and do forgive me but I'll dig out the research if I can um and it the long and the short of it was that stuff you can buy over the counter probably isn't going to do much um and that actually if you are seeing um uh anxiety issues or you know separation related problems and it's at the point where the dog is not in a, a good kind of learning um mentality and you know it, it's really that much of a welfare issue then just go straight to your vet mm. and get some get some meds on there because um i think sometimes we can um faff around buying things from amazon for for so long hoping they're going to work whereas actually you could put that money towards seeing a behavior counselor yeah. or you know going to going to your vet so um I hope that I haven't sounded too negative. That's just sort of thoughts coming out of my mouth, really. But um, <clears throat> I think I'm certainly not against them. But I, I would, I always question the effectiveness of a new product and um, <laughs> and the price tag. <laughs> what's the quote? Um, what what's what do you call alternative medicine that works? Medicine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> going we down a slightly you, different route yeah there, but, we won't yeah, get you started yeah. on your don't get me started but um really good question diane and yeah. if if you're thinking of using them for your dog then um yeah have a look into all the different methods speak to people that have used them mm. have a look at the research um consider working with a behaviorist to see whether it's actually worth skipping some of those um stages and just going to something um stronger if if you know case by case basis isn't it really a great example there ladies and gentlemen of why uh, we pay natalie like the big books uh, <laughs> that stream of knowledge coming out do of you the, uh, i'm just do you pay me the big bucks i'm just you know metaphorical big bucks. um <laughs> I'm just sat here dribbling while she's talking. Um. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, yes. So there we go. Um, so, right. Um, that's all the questions, isn't it? Right? That was three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like okay, that. I like out, doing questions. Turns out I Ask us questions. Count. That was good. I hope they were I hope they were interesting answers anyway. Right. So we have got um, another uh, bit of our In Praise of Dog section. Although, um, hang on a minute. I've got to have a look at the it. book. What is it with me? I'm in the tiniest room. Talk, about, talk to everyone that for a second. 
around. What should I talk about? So I've got a new. I think people can still hear me. Oh yeah. So I've got a different book. He says, wandering around. We'll be doing an edit on this bit. Will you? You're not just going to keep your hum diddy humming? What the hell have I done with that? How can I be that disorganised? I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but hang on a minute. Hey! Hey, have you got it? The one thing was I haven't not, lifted up. Was it not sellotaped in front of you? <laughs> no, it wasn't Do you know what you need, Steve? You need a mini clipboard. Yeah, all right. put that book on. <laughs> all right, file of facts, Fanny. That's what I mean. It's your new name, that is. Right, okay. <laughs> So um, we've got a new book. I'm, I still like, I like the In Praise of Dogs section. Um, I might even do a little jingle for that one as well. Um, but um, I've got this book now. Now this one, this is a bit weird actually, because this book appeared on my bookshelf and I don't even know where it came from. It might have been a Christmas present or something. Um, it's got a great front cover. Look at these two terriers in it. Oh, they're cute. I'll pop a little photo of it. And it's got a little quote at the bottom there. Lesson number one, joy is meant to be shared. It's got these two little terriers Aww. jumping up. I mean, there's a possibility there they're trying to kill each other, but who knows, terrorists. Um, <laughs> it's all about the context. So this is jam-packed full of lessons that your dog should teach you. Um, uh, okay. You know, very light-hearted. Um, but I didn't get any further than when I was reading it through than the introduction. So what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the introduction because I think this is really nice. It's really, really nice. It's a bit, it's a bit long, this one, so bear with me. Settle okay. in, children. I'll just get myself comfortable. Get yourself a bovril. Um, right, so introduction. So it's written by um, a, a woman called Cynthia L. Copeland. Introduction, and this is her memories of dogs when she was growing up. So, <clears throat> killing my throat. I grew up with Dusty, a smart, scrappy border terrier given to my brothers and me by the town librarian, who thought he needed younger playmates. As sweet as he was mischievous, Dusty was the perfect pet for our lively family. Many, many years later, when I had children of my own, I adopted an energetic mutt from our local shelter. My then four-year-old daughter, Anya, named him Smokey the Bear, Bear for short. For 18 years, Bear embraced life as a country dog, tangling with porcupines, hiking mountain trails and cooling off in the neighbour's pond in, on sticky summer days. He helped herd the sheep and kept our chickens safe from the coyotes. Although he loved to race alongside my daughter as she rode her bike, he was just as happy sitting in the rowboat watching my son fish. How idyllic does this all sound, by the way? Uh, it's a bit like my life. Um, <laughs> in the winter, he joined us for sledding and pond hockey, planting himself directly in front of me to protect me from the puck. When the little girl across the street began to use a wheelchair, Bear assumed the role of her companion and protector. Often at night, I'd have to slip into their house where he had dozed off at her side and lure him back home with a treat. Of course, when I'd let him out next morning, he'd trot right back over to her. I believe he is as well represented in their family photo albums as he is in ours. Bear was more than just a beloved neighbourhood dog. He was a daily reminder of how to live a happy life of gratitude and purpose. He took delight in the most mundane events every day, basking in a ray of sunshine, the occasional table scrap, a vigorous belly rub, and seemed to instinctively know when someone needed his company. We may have taught him to sit and stay, and when he felt so inclined to roll over, but in the end, what he taught us was of much greater value. I hope you will be inspired by his example and by the special dogs closest to you. Oh, that's go. nice. It was really nice, wasn't it? It was really, really, really nice. 
Um, so yeah, so and this book's quite thick as well. So we got loads for in praise of dog mm. section. So it's just little quotes and pictures and and nice little things that have been written about. I look forward to story time with Steve. Written about a dog story time. time with Steve. Come into <laughs> the woods with me. No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> there we go then. Another ah! one. Another one bites um, dust. Is that episode nine or ten? I'm not sure. Um, I think it's ten. Is it? Is it ten? I think it's but nine. Double Let's have a fight. Um, fight. Are we counting our chat with Carrie? I think. And Corin. Uh, I think we should. I don't know. Actually, I haven't decided. I it goes down. I think works. on that. Goes down on the um, on the iTunes and the Spotify's as episode I'll leave numbers. You, I'll leave it up to you about the technical okay, side of things. Okay. So. Um, can I- yeah. Can I just say about my um my Drax fundraiser? Oh, I forgot to mention that I had it written yeah. down as well. Yes, yeah, go for no, it. No, just before we go. So, yeah. um, I've decided to because a lot of charities are struggling at the moment. Um, I mean they struggle anyway, and it's nice to do a fundraiser. So I had this planned for a while, and then lockdown happened, and blah blah blah. Anyway, I have um had some Drax badges made which are little metal pin badges with Drax's face on and it says Drax's Galactic Adventure and the logo the banner of the Facebook page that my lovely friend Kim designed Um, and I'm selling them to raise funds for the Stubbington Arc which is the RSPCA um, centre close to me and Steve and for Many Tears which is where um, Drax came from. Um, so if anybody would like to get involved and request a badge, then if you could um, email me um, or message on the Facebook page, I think, or email shop at natdogs.com or go to Drax's Galactic Adventure Facebook page and you'll find all the details we'll on there. We'll share it on, on the page as well. We'll put the, yeah, is that all right? Yeah, of course it is. Okay, they're cool. really, really cool. Like, it's, I feel like you're downplaying them a little bit. They're proper <laughs> snazzy, shiny, enamely type badges and, and they would look proper good on like I've um, I know Corinne's got this like really cool like um, green cargo jacket where she's got like little patches oh, with the, of walls with, and things with the patches on the back. Yeah, if you're into anything like that, that look, it look, they look. I mean, it'll go on a cool. treat pouch. Oh a treat. yes, yeah, it go uh, anywhere. You could yeah. stick it anywhere. You don't need. A yeah, jacket. you could stick it anywhere you like, really. <laughs> and it's. A, I mean, that's, a that's your cause. that's your business. Where that's you your business. But... Oh my god, that you just reminded me of that. I can't remember her name, but it's the vegan cook on. Um, it does the little videos of it. That's your that's business. Your business. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, get one of them. Go buy one. I bought one. Um, um, not because Nat's my friend, because she isn't. Um, but uh, <laughs> but because they're good. So um, then it's a great right, it's a great you. cause. It's brilliant. Well, thank you very cool. much. No, thank you. It's been fun. behaviourista. Until next time. Um, All right. I'll uh, I'll catch you on the other side. Yeah. See you later. Bye-bye, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Heads arms collide. Ourselves divide Just like they've always done A spark of life We multiply This ride has just begun And here at the end of a line that stretches back through all time.
time Time guided by a primal desire To simply survive Survive, you can't keep it down And it was 